rips one into the night, deep into right, way out of Moves to the right, it goes directly to Clement. Clement reverses it, and the pass goes into the end zone. To Nick Foles. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another great episode of Talking 215. Joey K, Scooter McGilly. How we doing tonight? Doing good, man. We got uh, Sixers and a Flyers dub coming off that, so it's always a good show. We got positive momentum going into the weekend, so uh, we're playing the uh, winless Detroit Lions coming up, too, so things are trending in the right direction, it looks like. No, that's certainly the hope. That's certainly the hope. I know we're going to kind of get into the Eagles towards the end. I've got plenty of thoughts, as I know you do as well. But like you said, coming off a good week in Philadelphia, or at least a good last night, Sixers get a big W off of Joel Embiid. Pretty dominant performance, 30 points, 18 boards, all on half a knee. So that's uh, that's always pretty impressive. Flyers staving off a uh, onslaught of shots at, to, to win 2-1. to one. I think all goals in that game were scored in the first seven minutes, and then Martin Jones kind of stood on his head the remainder of their game, give them a nice 2-1 victory. Nice little Tilly at the end of the game, too. Uh, Luke Shen catching the, the brute force of that. <laughs> I, 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 got, I saw that a Shen brother was involved in a fight, so I was getting a little bit uh, – some flashbacks there a little yeah. bit. But, uh, <laughs> hey, anytime you have uh, a dust-up and a win, like that just makes for an entertaining hockey game, so – um, this Canadian road trip, man, we're, we're doing well. Like we got, we got one more, you know, uh, running through, through Canada here. We got one more on this Canadian road trip. Um, I think to finish it off. And if we can go three and oh, in those, man, that's huge. Oh my gosh. No, I mean, four, one and one through the first six games, nine of a possible 12 points. You can't be mad at that. It's a great start to the year. Yeah. We're playing, uh, we're playing Calgary tomorrow, another late game, you know, another West coast Canadian game, Calgary, very solid team, five one and one right now. Uh, maybe playing Johnny Ham and Cheese a little bit, so uh, he's probably going to be out there doing his thing. Would love to see a win. Right now, they are the underdogs in the game. They are plus one forty on the on the puck line, but never know what's going to happen. The boys are hot. Boys are buzzing. Last game, normally they're winning these big shootouts. You know, six to four, six to three, five to three. Last night was a bit of a defensive battle. Like I said, all the goals were scored in the first seven minutes of the game. Uh, Canucks scored on their very first shot of the game, proceeded to have 27 more shots, all saves after that. Pretty great game. And, uh, yeah, Cam Atkinson looking real good. I mean, you're not wrong. His arms are looking real big. <laughs> he's, looking, he's looking built. Comment for it's not just listen to the audio. We got a comment coming in. Scoot's arms looking big. If you're if you're not watching it live, you're missing out. Jeez. Oh man. Spe- speaking of big, Cam Atkinson is another guy that I feel like never comes off the ice. We talked oh about it last time. Like it, it he literally is everywhere. And I, I saw a quote, I can't remember who it was from, but um it was from an opponent, and they were talking about Cam Atkinson. He said, the best compliment I can give him. There you go. Crack open the truly baby. 
It looks like you got the uh, fruit. Is that the fruit punch or the lemonade pack there? Lemonade. The lemonade is the watermelon, watermelon lemonade. Truly not a sponsor go. yet. There you go. Friday night, kicking it off right. But so the compliment he gave on Cam Atkinson, he's like, he is an absolute son of a bitch. He's a dude that you hate <laughs> to play against. Like, he's that guy where I'm like, oh, God, I got to play against this guy. He's everywhere. He's pesky. He does the dirty work. He does the little things. I mean, there's. it's just – it reminds me of like – like hustle plays in football or basketball. It's just it's just he's everywhere. What in addition, he's embraced the city as well. He's embraced the gritty, that whole mantra, the the whole oh, yeah. Philadelphia persona. And oh yeah, first first flyer to score in their first five games as a flyer. Also, just pulled up old Jakey Voracek stats. Look, this is not knock on on Voracek oh, slander Jakey. This is not a knock on him at all. This is just trying to say, look, we. We might have come out early as victors in this trade. Love me some Voracek. You know, love the great passer that he was. Uh, wish he was a little bit more of a score check at times. But look, through six, through five games, he's he's decent. He's got three three apples. He hasn't Dude, found the score sheet, but he's got three apples. He's a minus two compared to old Cammy Atkinson having a having a great season. Let's pull up pull up his numbers here right off the bat. We're looking at five goals. In an apple through uh through his last five games. Oh, so I was only looking at the last five. I might I mean not had him all there. He's got uh yeah, he's got six points, five goals in an apple through six games. Great stats. He's looking at plus nine. Holy smokes. Guys lighting the lamp left and right. How about Martin Jones getting the victory in his hometown too? I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you know, him getting the start back, you know, where he grew up playing hockey and where he's from. I thought that was pretty cool that he got to do that. There was a ton of friends and family that he had where they're at the game too. So for him to, you know, only give up one goal, you give up one goal nowadays in the NHL. That's, that's damn good. So uh, hats off to Martin Jones too. Just, you know, anytime you can interchange goalies and you don't know who the real starter is because they're playing so well, that's a good thing. Oh, no doubt. And and it was great. I mean, Carter Hart let in, let in some, some soft ones or even just kind of one soft one in the previous game against Edmonton uh, ended up really having a overall pretty solid game. You like to see it any back to back though. You're rarely going to see the starter playing both of them. So to see Martin Jones come in against a, a decent Canucks team, in my opinion, a decent Canucks team, at least early in the season in their home and to have him, you know, pitch a pitch a one hitter like that, you know, only letting up the one goal. It, it's great to see. And you're hoping to build on it because he didn't have the best of preseasons. Martin Jones, he, he wasn't super active. Uh, reports coming out of camp are that he just wasn't looking all that great. But he's come out. I believe he has two wins on the season in both games that he's played in. So it's great to see, and, and you're hoping to, to continue to build on it. And I'm hoping that we just get back to scoring five or six goals. They kind of treated us early to a bunch of bunch of goals early on, and we're hoping that that, that comes right back. I mean, don't get me wrong. A, a due to any victory, I'll take. But I love seeing those uh, those high scores. I do too. And I got some hockey trivia for you too, Jake, just on the spot as well. Do you know what a Canuck is? Is it, is it a whale? No. I'm just thinking, I don't of, the know old, why I'm just thinking of the old whalers. The old whalers, they, they have a shark type thing as their logo. But I looked yeah. it up last night. You know, I was watching the game with the wife and she's like, is, What's it, a Canuck? is it like a derogatory term for a Canadian? It's something along those lines. It's like 
a one of the one of the definitions we were like Alexa, what's a Canuck? And one of the definitions was a Canadian thing. So it's just like <laughs> it's like the Philadelphia oh, it's John. Like, it's like a John. It's like a John. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's a John. It's a, a Philadelphia thing. Yeah. So you know, I'm I'm usually the one that tells her everything about sports, but when she looked at me, it was like, "What's a Canuck?" I was like, "I'll be honest, I I don't know." So we yeah, looked it a, up. What's and, a flyer? You know. Well, yeah, but it's a Philly. But a Canuck isn't like an everyday word. Like you could hear the word no. flyer, you know, like you post up flyers, like you're a no, high when flyer. I, I mean, when I was stuff. in Toronto and I was and I was drunk on some uh some moose head, I was I was screaming at any Canuck there. I was just I was I was feeling it walking down the streets. I was wearing my Drew jersey with pride. So obviously I was catching a lot of flat because I was walking downtown Toronto. And yeah, you know, I mean, anytime somebody would, you know, scream something, I was I was buzzing. So I was like, oh shut up, you damn Canuck. And they probably took that as a compliment because it's just a Canadian thing, yeah. apparently. So I mean, you learn something new every day. I mean, gritty is a Philly thing. I mean, you don't even know really what he is. Kind of like a fanatic. He, although he's made fanatic of, is he's from made what, of the Galapagos Islands. Orange hair and nightmares. That's what he's made of. <laughs> he, he, he what? He calls himself Drew's son. Is it <laughs> Drew's best friend? <laughs> something. Yeah, I think so. Drew's best bestie or pal or whatever. Um, uh, no, but, but yeah, man, they're, dude, the, the goals come in bunches. Let's take, I love, I love how they're looking right now. You know, there was a lot of uncertainty with the trades and get rid of guys that have seemed like they were lifers have been here forever. You know, you look at, you, we talked about Vortech, we talked about ghost, you know, and everything like that. But these, these new guys are, are fitting in the pieces real nice. And look yeah. at Jeru, look at Jeru having a resurgence acting like, you oh, know, man, hey, and he's never been a huge goal scorer. He's always been one of the best playmakers in the NHL. But he's got four tallies on the year. Hey, I'm still the captain. Look at me. I'm still oh. the captain. He's showing it. So I love it. I love the way that is. Look at me. I'm the captain. <laughs> I really don't have anything bad to say about him. They're they're doing well. Let's hope we can finish that off this Canadian sweep. No, no, you you really hope so. And and something I want to touch on that I feel like we'd be remiss not to is just the toughness that has kind of come back. Like I said, last year I believe we had either like nine or 10 fights throughout the entire season. I believe we're at six already through the first, uh, what would it be? First six games. I believe we're right at either either five or six fights. So well on pace to blow that out of the water. And, and a lot of people will argue that aren't huge avid NHL fans, but honestly, and I'm firmly in this camp fighting and hockey keeps it a safer sport. If you completely got rid of fighting, people would be, very frustrated after a dirty hit and all, and you'd be seeing you'd be seeing an ice full of Tom Wilson's and Brad Marchands. You'd just be seeing slew foots, you'd be seeing dirty shots, boardings, everything. When you get fighting, I mean the, the old adage is always true. You know, a, a woman will hold a grudge for a year. Guys, if if it gets to that point, they'll drop the mitts and they'll go toe-to-toe for 60 seconds, and they might jaw for a little bit, and then I, then it's done. You know, it's done. And so you're you're seeing that with the fights, but uh, Ristolainen taking that puck to the eye, blood s- like smeared across his shield, out there finishing his shift, not like just immediately skating the bench, hobbling around, finishing his shift tough. You, you just have a lot of toughness brought back to this city, and I know we touched on it in our Vegas wrap-up episode where you're seeing little to no toughness in the defensive schemes and all over it, on the Eagles' side with Jonathan Gannon's defense, and we'll get into that more. But but I talked about them when we brought it up, just letting the dogs eat, letting them do what they're good at, letting them loose. 
And right now you're seeing that with the Flyers, you're seeing that with the big D men, you're seeing that with the scrappy third and fourth liners willing to get out there and make the dirty plays. The the four check hasn't looked like this in years. Yeah, you brought up Tom Wilson. I want him one on one in the octagon so bad. I oh I, 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 I can't put my stand hands on Tom. Wilson. I mean, I, I I hate that man. I hate him. I think he's dirty, like you said. So I really want somebody to just—he's filthy, beat and not the in the good ways. Like, oh man, like he is—he no. is beyond no. dirty, and yeah. he, there is no place in the NHL for him. No, I can't stand him. Can't. No, no. I when I, when I was a paramedic in the Outer Banks, there's a, a nurse that worked at the hospital there, and would oh like huge Capitals fan, great great hockey fan in general. But she would just always be like, "Oh, you just wish you had a Tom Wilson on your team. He's he's you know the last of the enforcers. He's just doing his job and he's doing it well. And you wish you had somebody his size that could still score and and make plays like him. I'm like I don't. I really don't. He's an embarrassment to the game. He's an embarrassment to the league. It, it's it's insane. He doesn't he doesn't deserve a spot in the NHL anymore. He's beyond uh, any kind of evidence that he's willing to change his game." Not a fan, never will be. No. But we are fans of the 76ers. We're not a fan of uh, Doc Rivers, I can tell you that. But we are a fan of the 76ers. Got a pretty nice win over the Pistons last night. Why don't you touch on that for a little bit? Yeah, I mean, Joe, basically, I I loved what he said after the game. You know, we got the win, but JoJo basically came out. Well, not basically, he did and said, like, we shouldn't be satisfied with this. He goes, no offense to the Pistons but they're the Pistons. Like, they're winless for a reason. Um, we shouldn't be satisfied. We shouldn't celebrate this victory. We're on to the next one, and we got a lot to improve. And I love that leadership about him. I absolutely love it. Put the team on his back last night. Like you said, 30-18, and 18, looked good, had some key defensive stops too. Um, you know, each and every game I tweet out whether or not Danny Green has more fouls than points. Yeah. And oh, yeah. We're playing the Detroit Pistons, and he had zero points and two fouls. And I look, we it's the we fans' could, fault. We could talk about the Ben Simmons saga all we want. We could say, you know, when is he coming back? Are we trading him? What will he do? Is it a distraction? Yada yada yada. All that aside, Danny Green, you need to be able to hit open three pointers because without that, you're honestly useless. You're, you're a liability on defense. Yeah, you're too yeah. small to drive. Your your home he is cannot, your home he's not he's not a dribble and create his no. own shot guy. He's not a a good defender. He's not an ISO guy. He's not a pick and roll. No. He is a spot up three point shooter. That and is it. And when you that, are one dimensional and you don't do the thing well that you are one dimensional at, you become useless. I'd much rather have Matisse Stiebel in there who can oh, easily give me zero. He can easily give me zero points but he can affect the game in so many different ways defensively and slash. Oh, yeah, he'll, be a, and yeah, he'll give you zero points. But we'll be a plus 16 out there. Exactly. So I, I would really like to see anybody else. I'd love to see cork um, start. Over oh yeah. Because you know how we feel about cork on this podcast, man. Like I, I just pop, really think he's taking his game. There. He's taking he's his game to another cork. level. He's aggressive. He's, he's smart with the ball. And there, like I said, there's not a better heat check in the game right now. When he's feeling it, he's going to pull from anywhere. And that, that, that swagger's like it, it it exudes to the rest of the team. It's a confidence that, you know, it is contagious. And so I just think hopefully we'll get this this Ben situation figured out for the better or worse coming up soon. But um I'm gonna need more than Danny Green than than having more thousand points. I really am before I lose my mind. No, yeah, and you're you're you really said it. He's completely one dimensional and he's not doing that one thing well. 
and and it's nuts. Like he he's he's willing to insult the fans. He's willing to blame us for for Ben's collapse. He's willing to do all this stuff. All right, well then be willing to ride the bench because that's where you're headed. It's where you're headed. You need to pop the cork, get Forcon out there, get Matisse out there. You just extended Matisse, or you accepted his his rookie option. His, I, his I'm not, a, option. yeah, his fourth yeah. year option. And then is was it just based on where he was picked that Maxi had a third year option, or is it kind of just something that they, they yeah they exercise they exercise his third the way they exercise Matisse's fourth. So, so why no, just but but just to inform you really quick because obviously over the past three years I've been expanding my basketball knowledge far more than I, I had previously, but, but the contracts and some of the, the minute details, I'm still a little bit shaky on, but, Oh, there he goes. Put that right back up there. They are looking big. I will tell you back on scoots arms, but why was he a third year option when they're both first round picks? Just where was one a lottery pick and one wasn't or, well, no, I know neither of them were, but no, neither of them were a lottery pick, but I don't know how that works. The NBA has weird, yeah, they have a lot of weird – like you can't trade a player that you signed until December in the past off season. Now, there's a lot of a lot of different things about the NBA contracts that, that just kind of baffle me. You can't have a contract longer than five years. There's like rookie max, mid-level exception. There's super max. There's two-way contracts. So it's very, very weird to me, something I'm not really versed at. Yeah. But I, I, I mean, I'll, pick- I'll go all day long with stats, with analytics, you know, getting the boys out on the court. So I'm not too embarrassed to say I don't know all of the ins and outs and and you know finite details. Of, yeah, we definitely uh, we definitely got to study NBA up on contract. that. So if if anybody out there knows about the contract structuring on rookie deals and accepting the options in those contract years based on yeah, where hit you us up on the side because that would not make good content. <laughs> Let us know. Let us know. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, bottom line though, Jake, like three and two without. I mean, look, we can say what we want about Ben. He's one of our best players, regardless of whether he shoots or not. Three and two without one of our best players. You know, Joe's, you know, knee still feeling a little bit sore. We're having some guys. I wanted to get your thoughts. I wanted to get your thoughts on that. I mean, you talk to any medical professional, they're going to tell you a a partially torn meniscus doesn't heal. Like, it'll feel better, but it's going to stay partially torn. It doesn't it doesn't rejoin. What are your thoughts on him not getting the surgery? Some people argued that he he still has, and I, I don't I'm not in this camp, but they argued that he's still immature and he didn't want three weeks taken away from his summer. Well, the one thing is it's the other leg, it's the other knee. It's not the same one that was giving him troubles before. So um if it was the same leg, I could see him getting the surgery. But look, I feel like if you're 290 pounds and seven foot two, like and he takes some tumbles. And, and falls to the ground and gets hit and runs and jumps. And being the athletic freak and dominant player he is, yeah, my knees would be hurting too. My yeah, little back kids. would be hurting too. His back's hurting, man. He's carrying yeah. the team. You know what I'm saying? So I think a lot of this is wear and tear. We don't realize like how grueling this is. If you think you're in shape, go up to your local LA Fitness or YMCA and just run full court basketball for five, ten minutes and tell me how you feel. Like, just, just tell me how you feel, honestly. Like, it will get you in shape. It'll wear down on you. Like, so for a guy that's 285 pounds plus and seven foot two, I mean, I just think it's part of the wear and tear. Remember, Jordan used to ice his knees every single day oh, yeah. after a game. You'd see him on the bench doing it right away. So if the social media era was around then when Jordan was putting ice packs on, oh, we'd be like, oh, my God, is Jordan going to play next game? But until Embiid misses games, until he says, hey, look, I need a break, I need a breather, 
I'm not worried about it. Even though he does have injury history in the past. Oh yeah. He's he's shown maturity beyond his years, especially this Oh, last oh certainly. Over the past two seasons, he has completely he's completely changed the type of person he is. Yeah. I mean, he I, I believe he's still listed as Troel Embiid on on Twitter, but he's really taken a big step back from from trolling opponents whether it be, you know, Carl Anthony Towns. I know he he's he's taken shots at pretty much anybody and everybody that he feels uh disrespected him or the team after a matchup and he's really kind of stepped back from that uh he's had a couple of texts this year both of them are pretty ridiculous one he's clearly trying to kick the ball up to his hands and it happens to to roll into the first row of the of the stands and he gets called for a tech on that and the then Blake, last thing, talking about the one where blake griffin snapped his head back when joel's arm grazed his chest like blake griffin's oh, one of the yeah. biggest floppers on the planet so i'm not worried about that tech either no, no, but he, yeah, if, if people like we talk about all the time, if you got a box score watcher out there, they're just like, oh, like, well, he's getting right, you know, Boogie Cousins, he's another, another just dirty big man going out there just doing his own thing. No, like none of the techs really have been all that warranted this year. You have exactly the one where he just nicks his chest and you think he hit him with an uppercut. And you have, there's one where there's a ball bouncing at his feet. And obviously, if you follow Joel on any kind of social media, he's a huge soccer fan. He tries to kick it up to his hands. Catches it poorly, kicks it into the first row of the of the stadium, tack, and then last night dunks on a guy, beautiful dunk, and he looks at him for half a second, but then you can see he like turns away and he's more screaming to himself. It's like and, a, ah, like you know, yeah, like and then yeah. and then yeah, and then you see him go to the ref and he's like, I was talking to myself, yeah, like I was talking to myself. It's it's like the taunting flags that we've been just blowing our minds over with the, in the NFL, like, which by the way. By the way, here it is. I knew, I knew. I, I need to crack another one for it for this because I just opened up a can of whoop ass with Joey and the taunting. Tenard Avery on the last series of the Buccaneers game stood up. Leonard Fournette stood up, touched him in the face mask. Tenard Avery didn't do nothing and got 15 yards. That would have been second and 13. That would have been second and 13 against the Bucks on the last drive of the game where they ran the ball out, and yet they added 15 yards on that. I've seen even last night watching the game. Like somebody makes a tackle, they're in each other's faces, and the referees separate them and say, now, now, yep. now. And then the NFL, the NFL's official Twitter page posted Penny Sewell and Aaron Donald going at it, hitting each other in the face mask. Oh, like yeah. this saying, Oh, the rook won't back down from all pro Aaron Donald. So they're grabbing each other's face masks, talking trash to each other, hitting, hitting each other in the face. That's not taunting. But Jannard Avery stands there. Taunting 15 yards because we're playing against Brady. You got to be kidding me, NFL. It's horrific. It's terrible. And sorry, I just I mean, it's that. it. It's been a while. It's been a like a year by year thing where it seems every year the officiating gets work worse. At this point, it's almost a game by game situation. Like you are seeing egregious game altering calls. Last night, did anybody watch the game last night? Right before Kyler Murray threw that interception, the, the interception at the end. He ran a read option where he ran right. He was a full yard short of the first down. A full yard. The referee comes in, picks up the ball. So, guys, the ball is in the air. The referee's picking it up to spot it. The head official comes over and signals first down. The ball wasn't even placed on a line yet on the ground for the other ref to see it to signal first down. Secondly, it wasn't even a measurement. Thirdly, it was a yard short of the yard to gain. So how is that an automatic signal for a first down? The ball's in the other ref's hands. You don't know where it's at. 
It was insane. No. Now, Karmic ended up winning out on that play because the Cardinals. Because AJ Green doesn't game. know how to turn the hell around. AJ Green was doing his best. JJ Arcega Whiteside move right he there. Was where lost I'm blocking, there, man. No matter what, like it's it's the point is the refereeing is either cheating, which I don't think it is, or it's so freaking bad. Yeah, because so you can have bad. Jason Kelsey get kicked in the nuts, and then he gets a flag for getting upset about it. You know what? Yeah. All right, fine. Let me kick you in the nuts, and then if you get mad at me, you're suspended. I mean, it's not that he wasn't suspended, but you're you're penalized in some way, shape, or form. It's ridiculous. Like the guy clearly did it. It, it certainly looked intentional, where he kicks Jason Kelsey in the nuts, and Jason Kelsey gets pretty pissed off about it, and Jason Kelsey gets a penalty. Like, are you kidding me? It's bad, man. The officiating has been horrific. Absolutely. And some of these personal fouls that we're seeing where, like, a defender barely touches, like, the QB on the shoulder, and it's a personal oh, yeah, foul. yeah, roughing the passer. Look, I, I've said it before. I've said it a million times on this podcast. A personal foul is a subjective call. It's what you think you see with your eyes in the moment, whether that be taunting, whether that be roughing the quarterback, whether that be a face mask. If you're going to throw that in the heat of the moment, a 15-yard penalty, I'm not talking about pass interference, holding, false start offsides. I'm talking about a 15-yard personal conduct penalty needs to be able to be reviewable. I'm sorry. Because if you go back and look and say, you know what, we thought he hit the quarterback in the head, but upon review, he didn't. Or we thought he had the face mask. Upon review, he got him by the collar. You know, or we thought, you know, it was taunting. Upon review, Avery just stood there. These people are older, older, older. But when they review anything, what kind of confidence do you have in them making the right call? We had an interception. We had an interception that they spent six minutes on and over somehow saw enough evidence to overturn it. And then we had a fumble that you can see it's very close, but was not a fumble by Kenny Gainwell. And they say that that was enough to to confirm the call on the field. So which one is it going to be? Is it going to be there's not enough evidence to overturn the call on the field? Or there's going to be there's not enough evidence to overturn the call on the field, but we're going to do it anyway? Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things where do I have much confidence? No, but at least there's pressure being put on them at this point. If I have the ability to challenge something, now you're being held accountable by the the fans, the stadium, the people watching at home that we're all seeing this. Because if you just call a personal foul roughing the passer, I may not be watching that game at the time. I may may not be seeing it. I may just be like, man, our idiot D lineman or whatever. But if we're all taking a second and a few minutes out of our lives to review this and the announcers are now talking about it and it's the difference between an automatic first down and you punting, okay, now we're all looking at it. So refs, now all the eyes are on you. You are being held accountable even indirectly. Even if you screw it up still, you at least know that that's coming down on you. So I think that needs to be challengeable, but hey, that's just my two cents. Okay, so you would say challengeable, not that all personal fouls are automatically reviewed. It's a challengeable offense. It's a challengeable. So you yeah, have- so that's even more reasonable. It's not like you it's not like you every single time you make that call, you're gonna be going under the hood. Not even. It would be something like they're doing now where they're trying to do these quick reviews without really slowing the pace of the game down. So it's a challengeable. I, I'm in favor of it. I really am. So you have know two, that- you have two challenge flags, right? Make just throw that in as part of it. You don't get an extra challenge, but if you feel confident enough to use one of your challenges, 
on a bad personal foul call that they call and you say, no, he didn't hit the quarterback low. He didn't hit him in the face mask. Go back and review it. You can't just call a face mask because you think you see it. Go back and review it. If you want to use one of your challenges on that and you get it right, great. But if then the call, wrong, obviously, much like every other challenge, the call would have to come down from New York because you would have yeah. so many officials that are too damn stubborn to, to admit fault. Absolutely. So, like everything else, it would have to come down from New York because you're not going to have an official being like, okay, you're right. I was wrong. Let somebody else tell them they're wrong. But Absolutely. we can we can go off on officiating for for a whole episode. We could, we could. But we've got what should be the most likely scenario for an Eagles win. The only way it would be easier is if it was in Philadelphia playing the Lions, 0-7 Lions. They looked good against the Rams, but they really put it all out there. Two fake punts and an onside kick that was successfully recovered. And they still lose. So they put the whole kitchen sink out there to come up short. What are your thoughts on them heading into or heading up against uh, Philadelphia in Detroit? My, my thoughts are this, is that I have to pick the Eagles to win at some point this year. I know I picked them before, but that's before this letdown we had in Las Vegas. So I am <laughs> um, confident that the Eagles will win, but you are. Yeah. Uh, I'm cautiously hopeful that the Eagles will win because. Okay. So it went from confident to cautiously hopeful in a matter of three seconds. All right. Look, I'm not confident that the Eagles will beat anybody any week, to be honest no, with you. Can't, I'm really you not. You really can't be. You can't. But I'll say this. Like you said, even though the Lions are 0-7, they play tough. They play hard. They've been in some games. They could have beat the Ravens uh, outside of Justin Tucker kicking a 66-yard field goal, okay? Yeah. Uh, they could have easily beat the Rams. They could have beat – I can't remember who else it was that they took down to the wire. They've had some heartbreaking losses. Oh, yeah. That doesn't mean they're good. That just means they could be 2-5 and five as well or whatever the case is, you know? But – I. You know the one guy I crucify on this podcast all the time is Jonathan Gannon. Jonathan Gannon. And I got I want to ask you some questions, Jake. I, I really do. Do you know the one quarterback in the entire NFL that has the least amount of deep ball percentage thrown? The least percentage of deep balls thrown. I would say I do, but I'd be wrong. But based on when you're you're asking this? I'm going to go ahead and say, is it Jared Goff? You are correct. Hey! Jared, <laughs> Jared Goff has attempted the least amount of deep balls in the NFL, thrown and completed. Okay. So, therefore, if I see Jonathan Gannon lining our safeties back in Canada, oh. 45 yards off the ball to prevent the deep ball I'm going to lose my mind. Jake, I have some more trivia for you, man. I hope you're ready. I have some more trivia for you here, man. Don't do it. Who do you think is the Lions' leading receiver on the year? Uh, DeAndre Swift? You are correct again. Hey! Correct again. And by the way, we did not rehearse this. He's got both of those correct. But you know what's weird, Jake? I was going to say, is, is DeAndre Swift a, a wide receiver? He is not. He is a running back. He's sir. a running back. So for those of you at home that are trying to see where I'm going with this, the Eagles like to play a lot of off 
zone coverage. They like to play a lot of two deep shell. They like to play a lot of cover four as they well. Do? Yeah. <laughs> I think is- a lot. I think I honestly think a lot of is selling it short. They like to only play yeah. cover two, two deep shell. And cover four, which is and where pretty much four. everyone's bailing. Okay. So that means four quadrants of the field. Have you, know the, you, know, you, know, you know what they don't like to play? Man. Defense. Defense. Man, man, defense. <laughs> I mean, anything. So my, my, my point is this. My point is this. DeAndre Swift is the leading receiver, a running back, check down guy. You know, just throw it in the flats guy is their leading receiver. Jared Goff has attempted the least amount of deep ball passes in the NFL. The Eagles defensive line is seventh, so top 10, in the NFL in pressures. Okay, so that means the defensive line is getting home to pressure. But when your defense is so far back, the checkdowns to the running backs and tight oh, ends so easy. end up going eight to 10 yards. So the pressures don't really mean anything. We talk on this pod all the time about context. There's pressures. And then there's pressures. So you could pressure me all day, but if I know I could just do this and dump it off to a running back and get eight to 10 yards, you're not really affecting the game, even no. though you're pressuring me. So you're not. again, I cannot stress this enough. I cannot talk about this more than 9 million times on this damn podcast. This is the game where you have to press. You have to play man-to-man defense. Are you worried about – Amon Ross, St. Brown, and Quintez Cephas beating you at wide receiver? <laughs> Are you? Play man-to-man. Yes, I know they have TJ Hawkinson. Bracket him. Put two people on him. A safety and a yeah. linebacker. You shade one inside, one outside, or you shade one over top and one underneath. That's what you do, and you bring pressure to Jared Goff. I, I just wanted to get that off my chest right now. I'm going to let you talk now, Jake, because it was blowing my mind. But if this defense does not pressure and put more people in the box, I'm going to lose my mind this Sunday. Well, again, Coach Joey and in our little segment there in Coach Joey's corner is, is completely correct. That is what they should do. My confidence level that that is going to resemble any way, shape, or form of what is done on Sunday is less than 5%. There, there is nothing that is going to be different. I posted a poll on our Twitter today. Will Jared Goff throw above or below 74.4%, which is the record for a season-long completion percentage and also happens to be the exact amount that we give up on a week weekly basis in four of our seven opponents have thrown for over 80%. I don't think that there is a chance, a snowball's chance in hell that he throws less than 74.4%. Like you said, our defense and the way that Jonathan Gannon runs it sets up perfectly for the few things the Lions do well. If you're 0-7, any team in the NFL is going to have things they do well. If you're 0-7, you're not doing a ton of things well. But what they're doing well is getting their ball to the running back as a receiver. Like we said, DeAndre Swift having a top-five year in the NFL right now, and 75% of that, if not 85, 90% of that, is his ability to receive out of the backfield. TJ Hawkinson, top five tight end, could be top three, but he's on the Lions, which is the worst team in the NFL. If he's on a better team, he's a top three, top two tight end with Waller being hurt right now. The two things we do terribly against, not only is the run, 
which who knows? He might be a 90% pass catcher. That might be why he's top five. He could go 90% run this game. We won't stop them. And our ability to stop a tight end, which after week one, and, and you can say we held Travis Kelsey pretty low and we did, but that's also because we gave up 200 and something yards or 198 yards to Tyreek Hill. So it's like, pick your poison. And recently we've been picking wide receiver. And so you give Hunter Renfro eight stinking catches over the middle for an average of 11 yards per catch, but he didn't have a 40 yarder. Henry Ruggs can run a four two seven. Didn't have a 50 yard catch, but we gave up Moreau looking like an all pro tight end out there. So the things, the few things they do well is some of the things that we do worst at. I have it as a loss since last, since halftime of last game. I said, we're going to lose the lines right now. And, and all of our listeners out there do not for a second think that that I'm a hater. I, I, I love the birds any less. I'm going to be sitting there rooting my heart out for them. I want them to win every single game, regardless of draft pick or anything. I want the, the Dolphins to lose every game. I want Carson Wentz to play great, and I want the Colts to lose every game. But in a situation like this, in any situation, I'm going to be rooting for the Birds so hard. And I love them. They're my team. They will always be my team. But I'm realistic. And what my eyes are telling me is that this team sucks. <laughs> it, they suck. Jonathan Gannon blows. You can take your miracle grow. You can take your fertilizer. You can take your water, your flowers. Throw it out the window. I heard I heard a caller on WIP today like, well, you know, he should have said a, a hardy oak tree. He shouldn't have said anything at all. He's just like, you know what? Yeah, I, I do motivate my team. Right now, that's something we kind of hold in in the locker room ourselves. We're, but be rest assured, we're, we're staying motivated. We're staying on task. We're going to come out hungry. You know, like he says a million times, we got dog mentality. Say that. I listened to that press conference, and you can listen back to all of our episodes. I'm a, I am was a Nick Sirianni guy. I was. And I've been saying more often than not that his play calling isn't as big of a deal as some people are saying because there's a lot of plays left out there. But after listening to his last press conference, I am, I'm more out than in on him. He sounds like such a moron. You don't want that as your head coach. You listen to Brandon Staley talk, who before it, when I was just running this podcast solo and then with a previous Jake uh, at the very beginning, I was talking about like Brandon Staley. That's got to be the, the weirdest head coach hire of the year. You've got the Chargers who have a great draft pick. They got the one of the most promising young quarterbacks. They got some great weapons. Defense is really on the up and up. Why are they hiring this no name Brandon Staley? And now. He looks like he might have been the best coaching hire of the offseason. The guy I, I most highly talked about, or the two guys, and, and Arthur Smith and Robert Sala, they both seem to be completely overwhelmed, just like somebody very close to home in Nick Sirianni. Am I giving up on him yet? No, but right now I am more out than in. Take Robert, it away. Take it back over, because in, in our time together, have you seen me go on a rant like that? I honestly haven't. I, I, I honestly haven't. And and you know, I'm actually gonna take the other side of this against you here, Jake. I'm do gonna, it. I'm gonna, do it. The bet, debates are the best content. Do it. I, I think it, I think it's good that we have two perspectives here. So you mentioned you mentioned Arthur Smith and Robert Sala. Robert Sala is eloquent. He's passionate. He speaks with with a veracity. You know, he's very motivational when he speaks and everything like that. The Jets suck. 
Okay. Um, Bill Belichick, you know, he's always been a guy that's just giving you, yeah, we're on, we're on to the Texans. Yeah. We're on to this, we're on to that, we're on to that. Without Brady, the Patriots suck. Andy Reid, when we criticized him here in Philadelphia, uh, time's yours. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We got to get better. Time's yours. Yeah. So all the time we as fans, we talk about, I'm tired of the coach speak. I'm tired of the, we got to get better. We're working hard on to the next. We're tired of that. So Sirianni shows a little bit of his personality. It may not be for everybody, but you know what? If we were seven and oh, we'd be laughing about how funny and how relatable the plant thing is about his t-shirts about who's his relating his, to that. Who's shoes. relating to it. But that's the thing. We don't need to relate to it. This is something no, but that who's relating to it. My, my little brother, high school Ask coach him. said it. They're not Listen, relating to it, that, but that doesn't matter. Your little brother isn't in the Eagles locker room. Lingerie not, league football is not relating to it. But, that, but that's what I'm saying. We're sitting here worried about how Nick Sirianni explains it to us laymans who aren't in the locker room about his philosophy and how the players are going. You've had guys like Brandon Graham, Avanti Maddox, Ronnie McLeod, um, Jalen Hurts, Miles Sanders, Dallas Goddard, all stick up for him and saying, yeah, we." when he tells us in the locker room, he's saying with a lot more cuss words, he's saying with a lot more passion, he's digging in, calling guys out, keeping it responsible. So if he likes to keep it PG and try to use metaphors for – us people and and you know the the reporters and everything like that. I really don't give a damn because at the end of the day, that has nothing to do with what we're seeing on the field, except for the fact that it takes away the attention from Jonathan Gannon and how underperforming this defense is playing. Yeah, takes it because, all because, away. Like you said, Roddy yeah. McLeod has stuck up for him, but but Roddy McLeod even even kind of stepped up to the plate a little bit talking. If you really read into it, you could say he was kind of going against Jonathan Gannon in the scheme this week. I'll let so you get right Fl- back so to it. So is Fletcher yeah. Cox. Yeah. Who well, is Fletcher Cox? So is Darius and, Slay. They and all real said quick, that. Fletcher Cox on WIP this morning. Again, I'm, I'm overall a fan of WIP. We've had some of their hosts on. I know we're, we're getting James Seltzer on in a couple weeks. But the morning crew with Angelo, they, on Fridays, they do winners and weasels of the week. I believe the winning answer for weasel of the week this this today was Fletcher Cox. I mean, it's WIP in their callers, man. It's 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 like look. like we talked about in our last episode. Fletcher Cox is frustrated for a warranted reason. He is being completely muzzled. Dog mentality, yeah. You got a muzzle. You got some chains around him, and you're holding him back. And it, go right back to because I just had to get that in real quick while Fletcher Cox came up. But I'm, I'm going to bring you guys. I'm going to bring you guys into the coach's corner for a second. For you guys that think that Fletcher Cox is a weasel, I'm going to bring you into the coach's corner again. So pay attention, listen to me here, because we're going to break it down. So what Fletcher Cox was saying, you all heard the quote, and you took the one little snippet out of it and said, "I don't get paid to chase down screens. I get paid to get sacks." He, and the he doesn't like, get. I mean, really, he shouldn't be chasing down screens. Okay, but there was more to that quote that wasn't put out. What he was saying was the reason I was paid by the Eagles is because I get sacks, quarterback hits, quarterback pressures, disrupt stuff in the backfield, make the O-line have to double team me so that other people can get free, create havoc. I'm a 320-pound guy. Me chasing sideline to sideline screens should not be my first priority. That doesn't mean he's not hustling. That doesn't mean he won't chase down running backs. I want to explain to you guys Jonathan Gannon's scheme and how he's utilizing his best players. What they're doing is called a shade technique. So what they're doing is they're engaging with the offensive lineman and either left or right, they're having to read the play 
and then decide on where to go. So if I stack and I engage with you right now, I see, okay, is he running left? Now I have to try to get off of you and run left because I'm just reading it based off of that. Instead of just letting him go wild. The problem there is, is if the lineman beats me to my spot and then I see where the play's going, I'm already behind the blocking. This is why the Eagles do so bad at zone blocking schemes because offensive linemen and zone blocking schemes don't block the man. They go to a spot. They beat you to a spot. And then you have to beat them there, which is why you see so many cutback lanes on a zone blocking scheme because they either overrun it, they don't contain, or they're not filling the hole right away. Now, what Fletcher Cox is used to doing, and Brandon Graham and all these guys, is this guy's in front of me. I'm going to beat my man to my spot that I want to go to. I have an assigned spot that I want to go to, whether it's inside the goal. Well, Joey, you are frozen on my screen. Um, but I, I, I want to talk about this with Joey, but there's really no better time to uh, to mention it than right now. I'll, Joey, that is hilarious face you got frozen on, though. Somebody somebody take a screenshot of that and send it. Oh, he's gone. Hopefully somebody got that. But on the play that I believe Fletcher Cox was referencing when he said, I don't get paid to chase down screens, was on that big uh, third and, and long play early in the game, if you watch that play, he was tasked, to he thought that they might be running a screen third and long uh, a lot of, or yeah they, a lot of times they they kind of either run it or just concede and try to get something real quick with a screen and try to catch the defense off balance because a lot of times the defense is lined up in in a sticks defense and so Jonathan Gannon called a play where where Fletcher Cox kind of faked the rush and backed out of the play there he is he's back we got action. I don't know what's going on. I had to, I had to hop on my phone, but no, you're good. I was just talking about with um when we were talking about Fletcher Cox. I I will let you get back to it, but I was kind of right in the middle of it, so I don't want to stop it here. When when he brought up the I don't get paid to chase down screens, I believe he was talking about very early in the game on that third and fifteen where Nick Sirianni accepted the penalty. If you look, he like faked the rush and stepped back into into close coverage because I believe Jonathan Gannon thought they were going to say, oh, it's third and long. Let's do a run play here. Let's do a screen here. And the defense is going to be set up to, for, for the sticks defense. And so you see him, instead of rushing the quarterback and trying to get pressure, that might have possibly disrupted that 40-yard pass, which that drive, it didn't matter. But overall in the game, who cares? They, they were running up and, and down the field on us. But he he stepped back and went and tried to cover a screen. Ended up being a completely no part of that play because he wasn't rushing the quarterback and it wasn't a screen. And so I believe that was the play that he might have been referencing when he made that statement, which really makes it a lot more understanding on top of everything else that Joey was talking about. Yeah, it, I know exactly the play you're talking about too. It's like why, like why is our 330 pound defensive tackle trying to run out in space and chase down a running back? Like, what good does that do? Like, I don't, I don't understand, like, what, I, what I'm not getting It is, shows a complete lack of faith in your linebackers. Not, not only that, it's, it's trying to be too cute, and it's trying to overthink things. You can't sit here and tell me that in the pressure that you call a defense based off your player strengths, and then you have guys like Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave, and you're making them read and react instead of getting upfield. They can get upfield, beat their man, and then still react whether Goff has the ball, Swift has the ball, it's a bootleg, it's a play action, it's a quick hit, whatever. 
they can still react. But when you're having them wait and engage to react, you're not doing anything to help your defense because think of the domino effect. Now the linebacker doesn't know what hole to fill because he has to wait for the D lineman to fill that hole. Then he has to scrape late. By the time he scrapes late, that old lineman is now to the second level at the linebackers engaging with them. That's why we see so much yards before contact with opposing running backs against his team. It's bad. Jonathan Gannon's system is absolutely bad. And for all you guys calling Fletcher Cox a weasel, I would love to debate and argue with any single one of you. We could break down the tape. We could talk technique and scheme all freaking day. I swear to God we can because it's ridiculous what they're being asked to do. Two of the highest players on our defense are being asked to do stuff out of their comfort zone and what do the opposite of what got them paid. You don't ask Miles Garrett to guard tight ends. You don't ask Aaron Donald to guard running backs in the flat. You let them do what they're great at, and you have everybody else adjust. That's what this team doesn't do. You're, you're completely correct. And to touch on that, we something that we talked about earlier, in a game where Fletcher Cox did have his, his one sack on the season, he also had a play that I believe Josh Sweat ended up getting the sack on that was pretty much as a result of Fletcher Cox. So even if they don't get – they don't read the play and go to the side the play's going, if they disrupt it, and get in their way that makes that delays the running back's ability or that delays whoever the the quarterback the running back whoever is their ability to go right in their first thing they have to adjust to okay now i have someone in my face maybe my plan was to go this way but now i have to either go this way and take a wider route or i have to make an adjustment to it so even if you're not going to the exact way that the play is going the other people around the play have to adjust accordingly and then it allows a slight delay, which will give our less than stellar linebackers and our being muzzled defensive linemen time to fill that gap. It gives them just half a second more, where if you let them just bull rush right up the middle, do what they do best, wreak havoc, even if they don't get home, it allows somebody else to come up and clean up the mess. It's making it easier for that next person. There's Absolutely. there's so many benefits to just letting them do what they do best. Say, hey, go after the quarterback. If you see it's a hand uh, like a, a handoff, try to make it to the next level and get to the running back, but disrupt the play. What's going like, on, Jason? Thanks for checking in, in the comments. Like like Jake, you don't see the Titans sending Derrick Henry on seam routes, you know, down the seam on a on a halfback option. You didn't see the you didn't see <laughs> I'm glad he got that, that hard for doing. You don't see Peyton Manning running the read option where he has the option to, to take off with the ball, do you? No. No. You don't see you don't see Lamar Jackson just trying to be only a pocket passer or telling Michael Vick not to run. Like you don't do that. You know why? Because those guys are good at what they're good at. So you let them be good at that. You let them do what they are best at. Absolutely. And I want I want our listeners to pay attention to one thing on Sunday. The Detroit Lions run a ton of zone blocking scheme and bootlegs. It fits what they're good at on the offensive line because they're not very good at one-on-one man blocking. They have Big V, who's terrible, by the way. And if we don't abuse that (laughs) one-on-one matchup in the middle, I don't know what to say. But they do a lot of zone blocking and they do a lot of bootlegs because that's what golf was at least halfway decent with. It throws off the line pressure. It slants things away from pressure and it allows golf to get his head around quick on runs, and have an easy outlet read. I want you to pay attention to one thing. Notice where our defensive linemen go 
whenever there is a bootleg or a stretch run, if they are waiting at the point of attack and going down line and steading upfield, you're going to know that the scheme has not changed. So I want you to see that. We should be able to pick on this offensive line big time because they cannot hang with our defensive line. But like Jake said, if they're being muzzled, you're going to see that play action, that bootleg game work so effectively for the Lions. No, and, and I really want, like, I know Jason, you're watching. Sean, you're watching. A bunch of guys are watching. I want you to to take a little five-second video, tag us in it, and be like, you know what? You're right. Or, hey, look at that. We see some kind of adjustment. We see some kind of change. And, and Jason, to answer your question, oh, Scoots does more than, than play football. He dominates football. He is uh, uh, yeah, I played a little, I played a little ball, and I still play flag football, uh, you know, nationally across the country and stuff like that, too. But film watching and coaching and, and all that stuff, like I have a couple buddies who are coaches. It, it's my passion. I've been – I was one of those guys that was just a, a film nerd and a junkie ever since I've been playing ball. Just I, I love every aspect of it. And, and I love bringing that to the podcast, The Coach's Corner, because there's a lot of things oh, we yeah. think we see. There's a lot of things we think we see and we think we know. But you got to understand within the context of a play and how it works and how it's broken down that sometimes when a player has a bad game, it's a result of scheme versus actual oh, and, results. And, and be ready because we are just scratching the surface on Coach Joey's corner. We're getting the all 22 game going. We are, I'm working, I'm going to be working tirelessly this weekend to get uh, a lot of more video uh, like incorporated into our podcast uh, for when we go live, live and all, where we, he can really break down the all 22s and, and really flex his coaching knowledge and just his overall knowledge of the game and the play. So, so if I'm glad to see people are really liking Coach Joey's corner, we've had a lot of positive feedback from that Joey. I know I've talked to you about it on the side, but it's it's something that our listeners obviously really like, and it's something that we're blessed to have on Talking Two and Five is just someone with your your insight and knowledge. And uh, nobody it's, also, it's also my little audition to the coach for the Eagles. So I'm hoping to yeah. God if this keeps up with Gannon, I'm hoping they're like you know what, let's get that guy from Talking Two and Five. Let's see if he can get the boys in here and. You know, Jake, it's, it's funny. We talk about Schwartz all the time, like our ex-girlfriend that we miss and stuff. Like Jim Schwartz is the guy who we talk so bad about, but now we miss him. <laughs> One thing I will say, you know how we always complain that he didn't blitz, and now we're complaining that Jonathan Gannon didn't blitz? The difference between the two, one of the main differences is Schwartz let his D-line eat. He let those guys get upfield. So if we weren't blitzing, at least he could say, hey, guess what? I know Fletch is going to beat the hell out of this guard exactly. one. Or your exactly. backup set your backup centers in the game. Okay, here comes Hargrave to abuse your backup center. Or you know what, Brandon Graham on a rookie right tackle. I know he's going to dominate. Not just engage with him and then see where the play is. You know, can uh, Jared Goff come out and play? Is he cool? Can I come in? Am I allowed to go back there? Can I go? This is my backstage pass. Can I go? No. Let them go in. Kick down the door. And you saw that's Javon Hargrave's sack dance. Boom, 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 kick down the door. So at least that was one thing Schwartz let them do when he didn't blitz. Now we have the absence of a blitz, and we don't do that. Yeah, we blitz less, and we're not as aggressive when we just have four-man rush. I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't. No. Jonathan Gannon's got to go. It's funny. I know our friend over at uh, at DSM Media, Phil, he, he had a post that he shared where in the offseason he ran a poll of which of the new coaching additions are you most excited about? And it was all of the assistants like Steichen, uh, Gannon, a number of other guys. And it was something like 88% voted for Gannon. And I was right there with them. 
Jake, we were lied to, by the way. Lied to. I listen to ITB Inside the Birds. I listen to all these podcasts, our, our brother and sister podcasts. We were told that Gannon brings pressure. He brings the blitz. He's aggressive. Cover two man in your face, bump and run with D-line pressure front seven. I'm oh, like, yeah. No, I was most excited yeah. about his his defensive back schemes because he was like, oh, you got so many D-backs under his tree, under his coaching tree. Were they? I mean, I don't, I don't at the, at this point, I don't know if look, and and we've said it before too. I hear people all the time say, Oh, it's because he doesn't have the personnel to run what he wants. He doesn't have the personnel. Then show it. Prove that to me. Prove that yeah. to me that you don't have the personnel to play man with Darius Slay and that he's just getting cooked every game. Show it to me that you don't have the personnel to let Josh Sweat line up in an outside technique and rush the passer and he gets stonewalled. Show it to me that you don't have the personnel to let Cox and Hargrave eat up front and pressure and, and, the quarterback. And what did we hear? What did you say last week that the coaches said when they were asked, oh, what kind of scheme are you going to be be bringing into this team? What kind of identities are your team going to have? What did we just say? They said, well, I don't have a specific scheme. I'm going to base my defense. I'm going to base my offense on what our players do best. Like hell you are. Like, no, it, it's quite all right. It, <laughs> no, you're not. It's bull. It's bull. It's complete. It's ridiculous. It's like Jason says, it is infuriating. And like some clown named Mike Lombardi said this morning, like he's just further digging himself in a grave for me. He was on again, WIP this morning, and he was talking about the defensive backs. And he was like, well, our defensive backs are terrible in zone, but you know, they're just as bad in man to man. How the hell would you know? We ran three man to man plays last week. And we talked about it in our pre-show warm-up. Darius Slay is one of the top three cornerbacks when given the opportunity to play man-to-man. He's shutting top people three. down. Shutting people Shuts down. them down. Shuts them down. Right now, doesn't matter who they are. If he's given the opportunity to play man, they either completely throw that player away, saying, I'm not even going to look that way because Darius Slay is on him, like white on rice. Or they throw it to him, and he defends it. So, so Michael says, Barty, you know get out of here. You're doing so well at that man-to-man. I'm never going to run it again. <laughs> you know what? You're really, really, really good at It's like it's another thing in the press conference that, that Sirianni was saying. He's like, oh, well, you know, I'm really good friends with uh, Gus Edwards and all. He's like, hey, Gus, you know, you guys are really good at doing this on defense, so I'm going to really play to your strengths. Are really good at doing this on offense, but that's not your best thing on defense. I don't want to. I don't want to be too mean to you, so we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and do the opposite. It seems like that's what they're doing with their freaking coaching. We're really good at man, so you know what? It, we need to get better at zone. We're so good at man that it would be unfair. Let's play zone. We need to get better at zone. If we can be great at both, wouldn't that be amazing? So instead of playing what we're best at, let's go ahead and develop. I, I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen. Uh, <laughs> a defensive coordinator be afraid to call a defense. I've never seen a defense coordinator trot the same passive defense out there. Like there's, there's no pressure. You talk about setting the tone all the time. Like certain defenses attack, certain defenses set the tone, certain defenses hit you in the mouth. We wait for the offense to come to us. And we're like, we well, we hope you don't throw a bomb. But if you want to take 10, 12, 15, 16 yards, we're, we're good. 
We're good. We're good. Exactly. Like like Derek Carr said, it's unbelievable. And I, I, I don't get it. I'm confused. And this this is my last game as a fan to see if he adjusts or does anything. And look, I know people are going to say, oh, it's just the Lions if we play well. I need to see it. I need to see this defense play well. I have to. All right. Well, we've gone on long enough with that. Over under uh, jail or total rushing attempts for the Eagles. Not one player. Total rushing attempts over under 14. Over. It has to be or I'll lose my mind. All right. Over under Jalen Hurts rushing attempts seven. Designed runs or total runs? Just total. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go under very slightly okay. because if we're playing the game we are, he shouldn't have to. All right, here's the one that I've been most looking forward to your answer on: over under Lions third downs ten. <laughs> uh, I'll give him more over. You going over? I'll okay. go over. I think variance has to kick in here at some point. Um. I think variance has to kick in. So I'm going to say I'm going to say over and just hope that they don't convert a lot of them but I'll go over. All right, and then sticking with the defense, over under half a turnover. I'll go I'll go over. Um I think look, Jared Goff has like six turnovers in his last 3 games. So, again, we talk about variants and things evening out to the point of normalcy sometimes. Uh, look, if we do get an interception, it'll be off a tip, whether it be, you know, tipped at the line, tipped off the receiver's hands, something. And maybe we'll get a fumble where a uh, Lions player is trying to fight for extra yards and the ball just comes out. So I'll go over. I'll say that we will get a turnover. I'm not thinking that they're going to come in bunches, but I'll go one over. All right. And last one from me, over under seven Eagles penalties, whether they're t- accepted or not. I'll go under. I'm going to be optimistic about this week, man. I'm going to go under. Uh, <laughs> I know I know. this is very unlike me. I'm usually glass half empty, but like I said, this Lions I'm game. I'm feeling that role for you, man. I know. This, this, this Lions game is where – I'm going to have to do it because every other. And I'm going to be at the next game. I'm going to be at the Chargers game. And I'm sure I'm going to be doing a a tailgate show talking about how the birds are going to whip up on the Chargers. So give me a week to just be so pessimistic. What what kind of what over unders you got for me? All right. uh, I'm going to go over under uh, DeAndre Swift catches five and a half. Over. You didn't even hear what the number was. Don't even give me the number. It's over. It's over. If you said nine and a half, I might take the over. Something that was along our uh, Twitter poll today, over or under completion percentage for golf, 70%. Over. Over? Okay. Uh, over under total points for the Detroit Lions, 22 and a half. Over. Over. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, then the only other question I have is, what is your prediction and final score? I think the defense is going to do a little bit better, but overall not great. I'm going – 24-21 Lions. All right. I will go 23-20 Eagles, and uh, I'll try and be the optimistic one on this show. It's very odd role reversal for us, but uh, I'm going to go 23-20 Eagles. Excellent. Great. 
I hope so. <laughs> you seem very optimistic, uh, Jake. I, I, I know, I know you're not, and I'm not either. But I have to because yeah. we got to yin and yang this show somehow, brother. So exactly. Uh, let's hope the Eagles get a win. Um, I know we like to wrap up every show with final thoughts. So what do you think? <sighs> I can't this take yours. With, I can't take yours with Bryce Harper. Take it. He wants something to take it. I don't care. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. I want to touch on that, but we're kind of towards the end of it. So we, we might do a quick little, little thing for it. But, uh, but yeah, Jason, love to have you on to talk some baseball. I know we're, we're literally right now talking about how we need to do a quick little off-season Phillies episode. we got to have Jason on because i got to talk to him about that one infamous tweet and how <laughs> he's solely responsible for Bryce Harper's performance this year. So yeah, as much like that. much like we take the responsibility for Ranger Suarez, he's got Bryce Harper. Congrats. I mean, that's, that's great. <laughs> um, I'll go back to the old tried and true. Chick-fil-A's closed on Sundays. Bryce Harper, MVP. Let's go, Birds. Let's do it.